Hey there, everyone. This is Greg Schutz for ReadyForTheDraft.com, and this is episode 12 of the Ready for the Draft podcast. I want to welcome you to the madness that is my passion, the NFL Draft breaking down the prospects ahead of the 2019 draft, which is set to begin in April in Nashville, Tennessee. Week 10 in the books, college football season, first weekend in November. Um, you know, I've put in, like I, I've, I've said in previous episodes, put in some work. I'm up to 145 games beginning to end, uh, you know, with 108 of the 130 FBS programs. Um, you know, again, my goal is to hopefully get through all uh, 130 teams, watch at least one game with all 130 teams. So, uh, still have a few weeks to go. Uh, I should be able to, to make that happen before the end of the football season. Um, you know, getting into November, obviously we have the college football playoff rankings and, uh, you know, once again, Alabama sitting there up top, you know, they, they took on LSU over the weekend and, uh, you know, Bama showed why they're number one, you know, and a lot of people with the way Tua Tagovailoa is throwing the football, uh, a lot of people are saying that this could be Bama's best team ever. Uh, you know, I don't know that I'd necessarily go that far. I don't think the defense is quite as dominant, although they are picking up, you know, quite a bit of steam, especially with Quinn and Williams, who's really making a name for himself. You know, all the talent that's there on that um, on that Alabama Crimson Tide uh, defense. Quinn and Williams, 6'4", 285-pound uh, redshirt sophomore, is quickly making a name for himself, quickly you know, moving up draft boards um, you know, in that loaded defensive tackle class. You know, I think Quinn and Williams right now is a guy, you know, you're talking about Ed Oliver, uh, but behind him, he's going to slide right in there with, with Dexter Lawrence, with, with Christian Wilkins, um, really a guy to keep an eye on. He was a guy that was wreaking havoc all night long. Um, they're in Death Valley against LSU. Uh, LSU, you know, with the loss, you know, they fall to seven and two. They fall four full spots in the rankings down to number seven. They were sitting there at number three um, in that battle between the one versus three in the college football playoff poll. Um, Clemson sitting there at number two, another win. You know, and, and and dominating fashion once again. The defense, I think, is really the story um, there for them. They're they're dominant as ever. Um, but again, you know, Kelly Bryant transferred out. They've got the freshman Trevor Lawrence in there, and uh, he's been a difference maker for them on the offensive side of the football. Notre Dame sitting there at number three, moved up. You know, thanks to LSU's loss, they're sitting there at number three now. Uh, they got the the much-needed win over Northwestern, 31-21. Ian Book, man, you want to talk about, you know, we've talked about quarterback play uh, for Bama and, and Clemson. Ian Book, much the same way, you know, with, with the, the play that he's he's put in for the Irish. Brandon Wimbush, you know, just wasn't quite getting, getting the job done. You know, Notre Dame... Really struggling uh, at times on the offensive side of the football since Ian Book has come in, you know the uh, nation's leading passer in terms of completion percentage, and you know it, the offense just looks a little bit different. And I'd argue that the addition of Ian Book, you know, not not just Ian Book, but also the addition of Dexter Williams, having that explosive running back, that home run threat, you know, uh, Jafar Armstrong. Um, was a former receiver, and there he is lining up in the backfield. Now that they have Dexter Williams back, again, you know, four year, four game suspension. Um, so NFL draft scouts gonna have to keep an eye on on uh, Dexter Williams in terms of uh, the off field issues. But a guy who 
has made an impact for Notre Dame as much as anybody else on that team. Number four, Michigan. You know, they, they lost to Notre Dame. So if there is an issue where Michigan wins out, Notre Dame also wins out, uh, or even a one-loss Notre Dame versus a Michigan, who's going to get into the playoff? Chances are you know, Notre Dame already has uh, an edge over Michigan. But uh, the Wolverines, that defense, just looking absolutely, uh, absolutely tough. You know, Penn State just walloping them 42-7. to uh, And really it's that, that defense, a suffocating defense. Rashawn Gary back from the shoulder injury that put him out for three games. He was looking, you know, very first play, so quick off the football. Bends right around the corner, gets a good hit on Trace McSorley as he's delivering the football. Obviously there's... Chase Winovich on the opposite side, the Energizer Bunny, a guy who just has a motor that never quits. So much fun to watch. Devin Bush on the um, you know on the interior at, uh, at the linebacker position, and just so many playmakers in the secondary with with David Long and uh, Lavert Hill. You know the question is going to be there are a lot of underclassmen there in, in the secondary. Are any of them going to enter the draft? I think Devin Bush, if he does declare could very well end up being a first-round pick. He's a guy who does a little bit of everything. He can blitz uh, blitz the quarterback both off the edge and um, shooting the A-gap. Does a really good job sideline to sideline playing the run. Um, very well, you know, Plays very well downhill as well. Um, a sure tackler in open field. Breaks down in space. Um, not really over... Um, you know, over pursuing plays doesn't get over anxious. Um, you know, I, I think he's a fundamentally sound player and really the heartbeat of that defense, uh, if you can believe it. So Michigan sitting there at number four. I'd love to see a Michigan defense, a Don Brown led defense against Alabama. I think that'd be a lot of fun to watch. Georgia sitting there uh, at number five. They move up a slot as does Oklahoma. Um, sitting there at number six, Oklahoma, with a scare against Texas Tech. But at the end of the day, a win is a win. And uh, Kyler Murray, you know what, I, I'm going to jump on the soapbox just for a split second. And, uh, you know, when we talk about Tua Tango-Vailoa for the Heisman Trophy, I think when you look at the numbers, you look at everything that you can you, know, you talk about with Tua, um, you know, 25 touchdowns, zero interceptions before he threw his first interception there against LSU uh, this past weekend. Um, but the, the, the numbers are staggering and he's doing it all in three quarters, you know, as opposed to everybody else who's doing it in, in essentially four quarters. Um, but you know, if I look at Tua's stats, let's see what we have here. Um, you know, 12.17, uh, yards per attempt, only sacked four times, 68% completion percentage, um, you know, multi-touchdown, you know, in every single game, three games over 300 yards, um, you know, just absolutely dominant for the Alabama, Alabama Crimson Tide. But here's one of the things when you talk about the Heisman Trophy, is it all just about the numbers, or are you also talking about who is going to be the most valuable player for, for their team? And, you know, that's one of the debates that a lot of people have uh, throughout the year. Um, and, you know, I'd almost argue if you look at Kyler Murray and Will Greer and what they bring to their programs, you know, they're in the Big 12. Uh, Kyler Murray, obviously everyone knows the story. The the number nine um, number nine pick of the Oakland A's in this past Major League Baseball draft. Uh, $4.68 million contract. Just a smidge under what uh, his head coach Lincoln Riley is making right now as the head, you know, head 
football coach there at, uh, at, at OU. But if you were to take him out of the lineup there for OU, what does that do for OU's prospects with the f- college football playoff? You know, if we look at what Kyler Murray's doing, you know, 70.6% completion percentage, 31 touchdowns, five interceptions, you know, two, like I said, through his first interception uh, against LSU, you know, with those five interceptions, two of those came over this past weekend against Texas Tech. Um, you know, Murray sacked nine times. Let's see, had a couple of games, you know, under uh, 60% against UCLA and Texas Tech. Um, also threw for, uh, through through over 80 80% on a couple of days a couple of games and um you know just one of those guys who's just been very efficient uh overall if you look at the the, the QB the QBR um you know 95.3 um and I think the raw you know that's the raw data and then the adjusted is a 96.8 Tua uh 95.7 and a 96.8 as well um so in terms of some of the numbers you're looking at these guys and very similar, you know, overall, um, you know, when you look at Kyler Murray, 574 rushing yards as well, seven touchdowns, the impact that he makes for the Sooners, I would argue is even, even greater than, than what Tua does, um, because of the fact that he is so, he is multidimensional. Um, I would love to see what he can do, especially that offense behind that elite offensive line, uh, could do against an Alabama Clemson or, or Michigan defense. Um, and, and, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Will Greer. Now, West Virginia did uh, have a hiccup against Iowa State, and now they're sitting, um, you know, at at number nine. They have moved up four spots to number nine, uh, seven and one on the year now, uh, especially after that uh, miraculous win against Texas. You know, I think about that game, and you know, with 24 ticks left on the clock, um, you know, there's there's Will Greer, um, you know, ultimately moving to his right, doesn't even set his feet. And sails that pass and puts a perfect spot over two defenders to to Gary Jennings. Gets a foot inbounds at the back of the end zone. 16 seconds to play. Um, that's a type of play, you know, type type of playmaker that Will Greer is. And you know, when he's in the game, you know, and and he's on outside of that Iowa State game, uh, you know, West Virginia that offense has been clicking um, and firing on all cylinders. Um, you know, seven out of the eight games, like I said, over 300 yards, uh, multi touchdowns again in seven of the eight games. The one blemish again, that Iowa game, uh, Iowa State game, excuse me. Um, you know, the yards per attempt sitting there at uh, at ten. Um, you know, and you look at the progression for for Will Greer. You know, sixty five point six percent completion percentage at Florida in, in two thousand fifteen. You know, sixty four point four in his first year with with Western Virginia a season ago, up to sixty nine point seven as a as a senior. So that's you know the the progression you really want to be able to see that you know three games with with three touchdowns two games a piece with four touchdowns and two games with five touchdowns um you know four games without an interception as well um you know that's something i think can definitely speak volumes you know the QBR a little bit lower you know 83.3 is the raw 85.2 is the adjusted you know here's one of the things though you're talking about a 69.7% passer and he was sat he's been sacked 19 times already this season so obviously you know there is an issue with him holding on to the ball a little bit too long at times but i think one of the things that's so impressive is at the same time the command of the offense's ability to make plays on the run his ability to extend the plays as well you know if he's got a pressure in his face he doesn't um he doesn't seem rattled. He's able to go ahead and get rid of the football, put the ball where his receivers can make plays. 
plays. You're talking about nearly 70% completion percentage when you're looking at that that uh, that sack ratio with with 19 total sacks. Um, you know, I think of a guy like Baker Mayfield and what he was able to do for the Sooners a season ago. Um, even under duress, he was just about as as efficient and you know, especially with the accuracy uh, under duress as he was with a clean pocket. So I think that's one of the things that speaks volumes for Will Greer and what he's able to do. And here's another thing for Will Greer. The guy spreads the ball all over the field. You know, you talk about Justin Herbert and it's something that I've, I've rehashed quite a few times with Justin Herbert. I hope that he comes back, um, you know, for his, uh, uh, his senior year. And, and we'll talk about some of the numbers here in, in just a minute um, on, on why I'd like to see Justin Herbert come back. But, um, he, he wants to focus in on, on Dylan Mitchell, his, his number one target, and doesn't really come off of Dylan Mitchell uh, very often. You know, And a lot of times, if that number one target isn't there, he struggles sometimes to see the entire field. Will Greer, on the other hand, spreads it all around the yard to just about everybody. You know, to He's got rapport with his tight ends, especially Giovanni Haskins, uh, able to spread the ball to all of his receivers, not just David Sills. He's got Gary Jennings. He's got Marcus Sims. He's got TJ, TJ Simmons. He's got the diminutive uh, Tevin Bush. Uh, even, uh, you know, Trevor Wesco is getting into the act as well. And that's, that's a, a tight end who's primarily known for his blocking. Um, so Will Greer, what does he mean to West Virginia? You know, if you were to take him out of that offense, West Virginia is not going anywhere. We already talked about Will Greer when he wasn't able to produce what happened against Iowa State. You know, and against Iowa State, it was 11 to 15 for just 100 yards uh, in that contest. So when you think about that, you know, he didn't throw for the 300 yards. They lose um, over 300 yards in the other seven games, win every single one of those. You know, obviously that defense struggling at times, so they, they're largely outscoring their opponents. But the impact that Will Greer has, much like Kyler Murray, you know, I think that speaks volumes. You look at Alabama, they've got a dominant defense. And honestly, if you were to take Tua out, you put Jalen Hurts in. I don't know that Alabama, you know, we're not talking about Alabama being at the top of the college football playoff rankings anyway. So just a little food for thought there. At the end of the day, you can't argue with what Tua Tagovailoa is doing in terms of the productivity overall. Um, you know, just really a special player. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do um, over the next uh, over the next year. And, uh, you know, be in conversation as the number one overall pick um, next year. Now we, we talked about Justin Herbert and looking at Justin Herbert's numbers, um, you know, seven, seven point nine nine yards per attempt. Um, the QBR, uh, the raw is at a, a, a 78 and then a 78.3 is the adjusted. You look at, uh, the completion percentage this year, he's been struggling, you know, f- uh, 59.2% completion percentage. Um, you know, he, he's had some, some shaky games, and uh, you know you've seen that quite a bit with with Oregon, um, you know overall. And uh, I, I think he needs to see the field a little bit better. As I've said, you know, mentioned previously, you can see the arm talent, you can see the the mobility. Um, you know, he's he's got all the physical talent in the world, but 
Um, you know, he's someone who I think needs to needs to come back, needs to develop a little bit further, and he can very well end up being uh, in that conversation as the number one quarterback taken. A lot of people talking about him again, you know, coming out and would he be a top five pick in this this year's draft? But if he wants to spend time with his brother, you know, go to school at Oregon for his senior season, then uh, you know we may not be talking about Justin Herbert for this year's draft. Um, he might be going into a loaded quarterback class, uh, you know, a season from now. So, you know, Oklahoma sitting there at number six. LSU, like I said, fell to number seven. Um, I think offensively, you know, they really struggled against Alabama. You know, defensively, I thought they they did a a decent job overall, um, holding Alabama at times, um, really forcing, you know, dropping into into coverage man-to-man, forcing Tua to make the the perfect throw on on some of those. And you saw some inefficiencies there from, from Tua. Um, you know, not always able to put the ball right on the money, but this receiver, um, so he is human after all, um, looking at number eight, you know, Washington state, um, eight and one, you know, the, the lone pack 12 representative here in the, in the top 12, if you will. And, uh, you know, Gardner Minshew, I've, I've mentioned in my, my top 10 quarterbacks, I'm not putting any, underclassmen because really I think that all of the underclassmen whether it's Daniel Jones of, of Duke or uh, Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State Justin Herbert I think they all need to be coming back for their for their uh, senior seasons or in Dwayne Haskins case for his retro junior season um, you know I, I think there's there's just too much for these guys to really need to work on and if you look at some of the QBR and some of the other ratings you know it, it really starts to stand out a little bit uh, but you know Gardner Gardner Minshew you know, I think I have him at number four um, behind Ryan Finley, uh, Will Greer, and uh, Drew Locke. But Gardner Minshew, 70.8% completion percentage. The yards per attempt sitting there at just a 7.56. You know, so he likes to throw a lot of those underneath routes. You see that with, with Mike Leach, that quick throw offense. Um, you know, again, I think he still would be someone who would be perfect in a West Coast-style offense. Um you know, but if you look at uh, the QBR, 77.3 raw with an 80.3 overall, um, over 3,500 yards passing, 27 touchdowns, and, and seven interceptions, um, you know, I, I think that really stands out. Um, overall, four multi-touchdown games with zero interceptions. Um, he's been the the catalyst here for Washington State offensively, and you know Washington State's going to need a lot of help to move up any further um, you know, you look at their, you look at the schedule, especially a lot of the non-conference and, uh, not the most impressive body of work. So again, they're going to need some help. A lot of, uh, defeats are going to have to happen in front of them if they expect to move up the, up the, uh, the rankings at all. West Virginia, we've talked about them sitting there at number nine, uh, moved up four spots. Um, Ohio State's sitting there at number 10, eight and one on the year, but they struggled against uh, Nebraska. I think when you're talking about uh, Ohio State, you're looking at the eye test. You know, what are you seeing there? That offense, really one-dimensional. They're not able to really run the ball all that much. And uh, defensively, they're, they're struggling it, you know, a, a bit. You know, when you take out Nick Bosa, that puts a lot of pressure on Draymond Jones. You know, Chase Young is, is developing as a pass rusher, but I don't think they – um, have quite the punch up front. The linebackers are all young, uh, inexperienced. They they end up, you know, they're very athletic, especially Malik Harrison. But a lot of times they end up out of position as a result. Um, I, I think their their secondary is strong with 
uh, Damon Arnett, you know, and again, I think he's one of the top corners in, in the draft. Kendall uh, Sheffield, one of the fastest uh, draft eligible uh, corners um, at the safety position. Jordan Fuller, please come back for your senior season. Um, this is a guy who just seems to be playing, you know, making uh, a lot of mistakes out of position a lot of times, not always coming down uh, under control to wrap up. Um, so Ohio State has their their share of of flaws, you know, sitting there at, at number ten, uh, lucky to get out of you know out of there with the with the win against Nebraska. Number eleven, Kentucky, you know, at, at seven and two, um, you know, they moved down two spots, you know, took on uh, on Georgia, and Georgia really just outclassed out, outclassed Kentucky overall. Um, you know, Kentucky, one of the issues for them is is uh, you know again they were made made to be one dimensional. You know, if if you know a, a team is able to load the box against uh, Benny Snell uh, and force you to uh, force you to win with the pass, um, you know they just don't have the the arm strength there from from Terry uh, Terry Wilson at this time, um, you know to really make the plays down the football field for the Wildcats. But Mark Stoops, hats off to him. He's really got that program turned around. Uh, Kroger Fields rocking each and every week that they have that home game. Um, you know, so it's kind of nice to see. And then obviously sitting there at number 12, UCF, they didn't, haven't moved eight, no perfect. And I think that's really, you know, speaks to the committee looking at UCF and their overall body of work. You know, what have they done, you know, in terms of their, um, non-conference schedule and then also, you know, playing in the American conference. Um, you know, that's, you know, obviously, a, a an issue as well. Um, you know, it's one of those things. That's why Boise State started playing. You know, a lot of the top, uh, top teams to start out their season um, was because of that strength of schedule. Chris Peterson really understood that, and I think Josh Heupel, if he wants to get UCF into that national conversation and really move move up these charts and these rankings, he's going to have to play against uh, you know some top opponents um, early on in the season. Um, so that's really going to be one of the things to to look for for the the Golden Knights going forward. But we're not just here to talk about college football playoff rankings. We're here to talk about players. We're here to talk about the draft. Um, here to talk about who uh, who's impressing, who are some of the guys flying under the radar. And uh, we've been talking about the quarterback position, so why don't we stay here for a little bit. Um, let's have a little bit of fun here. And uh, you know, Ryan Finley, NC State. Um, this, is, this is a guy, for me, you know, I've been kind of going back and forth with him. And he, he, it is what it is, you know, in terms of um, of what you're going to get with with Ryan Finley. 23 years of age, um, I think it's 23 years and 10 months, so he'll actually be a 24 year old when he's coming into the league. But uh, Ryan Finley, look, you know, the the accuracy, the ball placement, it's all there. You know, five games over 300 yards passing, uh, just two games under 60 percent. Um, overall, you know, struggled against Clemson, no, in, no touchdowns through a couple of picks against them. Um, you know, you look at the QBR 84.9 raw, 85.4 overall, um, 8.53 yards per attempt. Um, only sacked four times on the year. Um, but Ryan Finley, his bread and butter is, um, you know, being in rhythm and being able to throw his receivers open the ball placement, um, the anticipation, the eye discipline does a great job looking off the safeties um, before he, he turns back and, and and fires a strike to his his receiver. Now here's the issue: 
throw any of those throws to the wide side of the field. Um, if he's throwing an out, if he's throwing a, uh, a corner route, whatever it's going to be, uh, any of those outbreaking routes to the wide side of the field, he struggles to put it on the line. You see a little bit of a rainbow, you see a little bit of an arc to the throw, and the ball hangs up in the air. And a lot of the times those de- defensive backs are able to make a break on the ball and uh, and get a hand on it to break it up. Uh, here's the issue. He goes to the next level. There are defensive backs who will be picking those those passes off, jumping the routes, and taking it for six. Um, so that's really going to be a huge issue. I think that's really Ryan Finley's biggest problem is that arm strength. And we saw against Clemson how it could really get you into trouble. Um, to his credit, Ryan Finley definitely rebounded. Um, you know, against Syracuse, they had a loss um, despite throwing for over 400 yards. And uh, as of the, the taping of this, um, you know, it, at the you know early early Saturday morning, um, NC State's already played against Wake Forest, and uh, Wake Forest ended up uh, upsetting uh, the 14th ranked um, NC State Wolfpack. Um, you know, they, they were able to go ahead and score a touchdown late to get the victory. Um, and in that game, seeing if I can find the box score, because I haven't had a chance to actually watch this game yet. Wake Forest ended up winning 27-24. Uh, Jamie Newman getting under center there for the Demon Deacons. And uh, really was able to get everything you know, coming back, winning, uh, actually scoring two touchdowns in the final 607, uh, you know, pass to, to Jack uh, Freudenthal, uh, 32-yard pass with just 30 seconds to play uh, to pull out the win um, over the Wolfpack. In the game, Ryan Finley, 35 of 52, 374 yards, uh, one lone touchdown and an interception. Um, you know, here's the thing. He, he, he's got some, some pretty solid receivers, you know, Kelvin Harmon. If you've heard me talk about Kelvin Harmon, he's been one of my favorite players. I loved watching him a season ago, um, as a registered sophomore, you know, coming in this year as a junior, I was really expecting him to take, take his game to the next level. Um, still has the issues with the drops. Let's that ball get into his body way too often. Um, you know, and, and I think that's really a, an issue. Sometimes some con- concentration laps down the football field as well, watching the ball coming in over his shoulder, tracking it. Um, but still, you know, for whatever reason, you know, he ends up dropping the football, but at the same time, he's one of the nation's top, uh, top receivers, uh, ACC's leading receiver, uh, as you know, Ryan Finley is, is the ACC's leading passer. Um, uh, but you know, Kelvin Harmon really showing that he can be a big, physical target down the football field. Um, and if he can get those, the consistency with the hands under control, he has a chance to actually be a first round pick at the wide receiver position. Uh, but 15 receptions there for Kelvin Harmon, 10 reception for Jacoby Myers, uh, for 117 yards. And then another five receptions for, uh, 83 yards and, and the lone touchdown there to a Mecca, uh, Measy. you know, Ryan Finley, you know, definitely a, a quarterback to be reckoned with, you know, a very intelligent, cerebral quarterback um, and uh, very high football IQ. Um, three years there as a starter for the Wolfpack after transferring from Boise State. Um, to me, I, I, I have to put him as my number one quarterback. And, and honestly, I really have to put Will Greer ahead of Drew Locke. Um, or at least that's what I thought. Um <laughs> and you know I'll, I'll tell you why here um drew lock for me 
you know, I was always worried about uh, this guy's game um, because you look at like his, his quarterback rating, you know, had a, you know, started off off the year great, you know, in, in the games against uh, Tennessee Martin, Wyoming and Purdue, but he had a three, three week stretch against Georgia, South Carolina and Alabama going against, you know, three top notch defenses. And, uh, you know, he struggled, he struggled mightily. And, and, you know, I was thinking he was going to rear the same ugly head that he's had a uh, year in year out with his accuracy issues. He's up to 62.1% of, of his passes, um, after playing well against Memphis, Kentucky, and then again against Florida. And, uh, you know, I wanted to see, you know, before I, I was going to do anything with Drew Locke in terms of potentially moving him, um, either as my number one or number two quarterback. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still debating what I want to do with, with Drew Locke, if he's goes ahead of Ryan Finley because of the arm strength or, uh, you know, really the accuracy issues are, are my biggest concern for him. But, uh, 24, 32, 250 yards, three touchdowns, biggest thing, no interceptions, um, QBR of 88 in the game, you know, Emmanuel Hall, his first game back, um, after missing really the bulk of five games, um, and you really saw that with Drew Locke. He was a little lost um, without him. Obviously, you know, Albert uh, Oebunum, his, his tight end, has been a major target for him. A lot of young guys in that receiving core. Here's one of the things against Florida. He threw the ball to, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different receivers. Um, looks like even to, you know, four passes to Larry Roundtree out of the backfield, uh, four to, uh, to Albert O. Um, and, uh, you know, another five over to, to Jonathan Johnson, Emmanuel Hall, four receptions, 77 yards and a score. So did a good job spreading the football around a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the fears that I had with this guy, um, throwing the football, um, you know, that was really what I was, what I was hoping to see, um, before we, we ran into the, the Georgia and Alabama games and, and being able to rebound against Florida was huge. Um, against Georgia and, uh, and Alabama, he went 36 to 74, um, which is 48.6% uh, for just 363 yards, a touchdown and three interceptions. Obviously I, I talked about the, the Florida game, you know, he was a 70, let's see, 75% passer in that game. So, you know, that obviously speaks volumes um, overall. So, you know, here's, here's the biggest thing for, for me, you know, when you look at, at, at Drew Locke, if he can get the, the completion percentage and, and he can show that he can be accurate on a consistent basis, especially pushing the football down the field, um, he's got the arm talent to be uh, an NFL quarterback and potentially work his way into the first round uh, conversation. Josh Allen a season ago, the issue that I had, and you'll hear me talk about this in every single podcast, if you can't complete 60% of your passes at the collegiate level, what makes you think you're going to be able to do that at the NFL level? And Josh Allen struggled, you know, and people were making mistakes, you know, people were, were uh, making excuses for him, talking about his receiving core when really, you know, he had a better completion percentage with with the uh, receiving core that you know was dropping more passes than than, than normal for him, he actually had a better receiving uh, or 
you know, completion percentage than a season before when he had um, three different targets that are playing now playing in the NFL. So Drew Locke, you know, I'm I'm happy to see because you know, just like Josh Allen, you know, 50 plus percent completion percentage, not you know, um, you know, under 60 in each of his first three years there uh, at Mizzou. And uh, finally, his senior season, he's back up to 62.1%, which is really good to see. Um, but, uh, you know, when Mizzou, as they continue to, to play and finish out the season, you know, if they play any of the top top defenses, you know, that's really where you want to see what, what Drew Locke can do. And, and I'm still concerned because, you know, playing Georgia, playing Alabama, um, you know, only completing 48.6% of your passes. I know that that offensive line struggled to keep him upright under pressure, under duress quite a bit. Um, but 48.6%, that's just not going to cut it, especially at the next level. So those are my three quarterbacks. I think the the issue with Will Greer um, and why, you know, I'm still debating whether or not I'd want to put him and consider him as, as one of the top two quarterbacks. He does, you know, I, I started watching the film a little bit more. A lot of people talking about the arm strength, pushing the football down the field. And, and I can see that. I think he, he throws with anticipation and uh, you know, some of his passes do hang up a little bit um, or are underthrown um, throwing the football down the field, but he is very accurate. And, and um, you know, I, I think what sets him apart from Ryan Finley even is, you know, when he pushes the football down the field, um, he is anticipating. He's getting the ball out early um, as opposed to waiting, throwing the ball when it's late, and then the receivers ultimately having to come back to the football um, to make a play. So Will Greer, um, Drew Locke, Ryan Finley, my top three. After that, um, you know Gardner Minshew sitting there at number four. Um, so we've talked about Justin Herbert, um, Dwayne Haskins, you know, he's sitting there 69.7% completion percentage, you know, 32 touchdowns, six interceptions, six games over 300 yards. Um, you know, very efficient passer overall. You know, you look at, you know, he was over 70%, um, against Oregon state, Indiana, Minnesota, not exactly, um, you know, top notch defenses against Ohio or I'm sorry, um, against Penn State and Nebraska, two better defenses, under 60% completion percentage. You know, I, I think some of the defenses throw him off just a little bit. And again, I want to see him throw the ball, football with accuracy down the football field on a consistent basis. What's he going to do when he has pressure in his face and he's not going to be able to get the ball out quickly? Um, you know, that's that's a big concern for me because I haven't really seen it. And uh, I've seen him get rattled at times. I've seen him get confused at times. That's why I want to see him come back for his uh, redshirt junior season. You know, and I, and I hope that he does come back. Um, Nate Stanley, you know, another quarterback who very well could come out. I hope that he doesn't though, because he's another quarterback that still needs further development. You know, I, I firmly believe that. Um, you know, Iowa going down to Purdue this past weekend, 38-36, uh, the 16th ranked Hawkeyes, uh, losing there in, uh, in Ross-Aid Stadium there in, uh, in Indiana. Um, Nate Stanley, 21-32, 275 yards and a touchdown, no picks, uh, QBR of 82.5, um, was outplayed largely by, by David Blau. You know, 333 yards passing, four touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, you know, Nate Stanley to me, um, you know, 
playing against Penn State. You know, I think he only completed 15 passes. Uh, I think he was like 15 of 49. Um, you know, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but um, it was roughly right around there. And and you know, when you're when you're completing, you know, such a low uh, low number of passes. Here's the exact stats: 18 of 49. That's just 36.7 percent. A week prior against Maryland, just a 50% passer. Um, a lot of ugly numbers, especially in terms of the that completion percentage. Um, you know, for for Nate Stanley, and, and you know how I feel about completion percentage. Um, you know, on the year he's sitting there at a 57.2%. Um, that's just not going to cut it. Uh, he needs to come back. He needs to work on some polish. He needs to be more consistent. Um, the one junior that I could see coming out might be uh, Tyree Jackson out of uh, out of Buffalo. And, uh, you know, does he necessarily, you know, would he necessarily have the stats or, or is he the guy, you know, that does it make sense for him to come out? You know, I, I don't know that he necessarily makes sense for him to come out um, as a, as a junior, but uh, I know that he's battling back off of the knee injury um, you know, and, but he has shown that he, he could be a lot more mobile, um, you know, and, and as the season is worn on, um, he is, uh, getting outside the pocket a little bit more, has the, the strongest arm of any, any, anyone that's potentially coming into the, uh, into the draft. Um, you know, Buffalo though, eight and one, um, you know, they're just on a tear there in the Mac, um, you know, very efficient day, 20 to 34, 358 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, um, you know, 90.7 QBR there against Miami of Ohio. Um, also, uh, 22 yards on the ground, three touchdowns. Uh, the big kid, 6'7", 245 pounds. Uh, doesn't move like that, though. That's one of the things that I think is impressive about this guy. You put him in the pocket, and he moves around like a guy who's probably two to three inches shorter than him. He's not your prototypical 6'7 guy who's not very mobile, moves around pretty well. Um, he's still raw, and that's really the big thing. What's how's he going to project? What that what's that going to look like? You know, when you have Anthony Johnson um, at uh, at receiver, um, you know, this may be you know Khalil Hodge there at linebacker. This may be the best chance that they have at uh, really making a good push there um, at Buffalo. Um, but they do have the the young running backs, uh, you know, Kevin Marks, uh, Jarrett uh, Patterson, Jarrett Patterson, you know, ninety six yards on the ground. And I mentioned Anthony Johnson, you know, eight receptions, 238 yards, three touchdowns. If there was any doubt that, that he's back, I think, you know, that that's proof right there. Uh, but K.J. Osborne's really emerged. The junior, uh, four catches, 34 yards in this uh, game against uh, Miami of Ohio. But when Anthony Johnson was out, K.J. Osborne really stepped up. He's among the nation's leaders in receiving and, uh, you know, K.J. Osborne definitely got to keep an eye on. But uh, I think Tyree Jackson, keep an eye on him. He may be the one quarterback that does come out. And I think it actually would make some sense just based on the fact that, uh, you know, he's going to be losing some of the weapons. And, um, you know, I think, you know, to enter the draft on a high note for uh, for Buffalo, I think might make the most sense. Um, so if you look at, at his numbers overall, you know, again, completion percentage for me, 56.1%. You know, he's still, like I said, he's still raw, still struggles at times with his accuracy, especially, you know, uh, deep ball accuracy. Um, 24 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 
uh, means to cut down on some of those mistakes, but uh, definitely a cannon for an arm. Um, so he's he's if you haven't seen Buffalo play, he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, so Tyree Jackson, a name to watch there at the quarterback position, uh, which kind of takes me to the the wide receiver position. And I talked about previously about how um, the wide receiver position isn't very deep at the top. Um, you know, and really what I, what I meant to say was we don't have a guy who's a surefire, uh, top five, top 10 wide out. But if you were to actually look at this draft class, um, and I think I did mention this previously, there are a lot of guys, a lot of players, um, that are sitting there at the receiver position, um, who could be, you know, mid to late first round picks and a lot of guys that'll be taken on, on day two. And I think that's really where a lot of the strength is going to lie with this year's draft class. Obviously one of the, the, the class of the, uh, of the draft class may very well be Marquise Hollywood Brown, the favorite target of, uh, of Kyler Murray there at Oklahoma, 5'10, 168 pounds, the speed demon. This guy is so incredibly fast. Uh, you know, in just eight games, um, you know, 45 receptions, 814 yards, seven touchdowns. Here's the deal, you know, um, especially when you're looking at some of these guys that are coming out, some of the, the speed merchants, you know, he, he's had some issues with his ankle injuries um, over uh, over this season. And, you know, you think about John Ross, you think about, you know, the issues that he's had, uh, the, the knee um, was, a, was a major injury that took him out. Um, for the year and he struggled with some injuries. He struggled to really make an impact um, at the next level. So it's one of those things to where I think teams might be a little leery um, looking at, uh, at Marquise Brown, just because there are some of those injury concerns. Um, But at the end of the day, I think Marquise Brown will probably still end up being a top 20, top 25 pick uh, because of the explosiveness. You know, another receiver um, that, that's going to get a, he's you know, going to be one of the more polarizing receivers. And that's Nikhil Harry, uh, 6'4", 215 pounds, uh, the junior, uh, 828 yards receiving with 55 receptions, nine touchdowns, uh, a nightmare, nightmare in the red zone. A guy who may not line up as, as your ex may end up being the Z, you know, it reminds me a lot of Juju Smith-Schuster because he, He's very physical. You know, I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to test very well in terms of the 40 time. Probably not going to be the fastest guy, um, but very physical after the catch. And that's where really where he reminds me of, of Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, you know, the, I, I think the the one issue that Nikhil Harry is going to have to show is that he can he separate um, down the football field? Can he separate when he, when he gets in and out of his breaks? And I think he's one of those guys that struggles, you know, at, at times. Um, the big thing that he does do very well, though, is he fights through uh, the the jam. You know, you can't really throw him off his route. Um, he's gonna fight through you, and uh, he's just gonna keep on moving. Um, so a very very big physical receiver. We've already talked about Kelvin Harmon a bit. Um, another guy who's among the the league. Um, I'm sorry, the nation leaders. In, uh, in receiving, he's actually the number five receiver in receiving yards with 965 uh, on the on the season. Just a beast, a guy who attacks the football in the air um, as long as he doesn't allow that ball to get into his body. And that's usually when he's working over the middle more often than not. Um, you know, if he can extend his hands out and uh, and make the catch there, 
um, away from his body so that a defender can't come in and make a play or not allow the ball to bounce off his shoulder pads, then I think you really have a player there and a guy who could end up being a first-round pick when it's all said and done. Huh. Let's see. Who else can we talk about? How about Hakeem Butler? Here's a guy. You know, he's he's moving right into my top five. Um, he's one of my favorite players to watch. You know, 6'6", 225 pounds, uh, the junior, uh, up to 791 receiving yards, eight touchdowns on the year um, on just 33 receptions. But if you watch him play, the rapport that he's starting to develop with Brock Purdy, um, you know, he may come back for a senior season. And I hope that he does because he could end up being a first round pick. I don't see him being a first rounder this year, but he has a chance to be a first round pick um, you know, in next season's draft. But man, I don't know if you got to see the, the Kansas game. But you want to talk about a beast, this guy, um, you know, two uh, receiving touchdowns where he was just a beast down the field. Uh, the second of the two touchdowns, um, he makes a leaping catch over the, the defensive back, hauls that in. And then after he, he lands, he basically takes a defensive back and grabs him with his right arm and just kind of throws him across his body and then takes up the field um for for six just so physical after the catch he's tough to bring down red zone nightmare incredibly strong hands and excellent body control he's somebody who really can contort his body um, when the ball's in the air and i think that's what all of these guys really have Nikhil harry one-handed catch against usc um reminded you a little bit of odell beckham jr uh with that you know kelvin Harmon, another guy who um you know, has the the ability to do that you know, one of the more physical guys is, is A.J. Brown, and this may be a good comp to Juju Smith-Schuster. 6'1", 230 pounds, very physical receiver, um, can get vertical um, up the seam. And I'm sorry, also on the outside, very physical blocker as well. Um, you know, This season, A.J. Brown still among the, the nation's leaders, 920 yards receiving, five touchdowns on 66 receptions. Um you know, he, he's one of those guys that, um, you know, just continues to come out and and make plays. You know, day uh, week in and week out, number eight receiver in receiving yards on the on the year. Really, a lot of fun to watch. Um, and, and for him taking the ball, you know, making plays down the football field. Um, you know, I, I think one of the guys who's probably the biggest weapon. Inside the red zone is J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, 6'3", 225 pounds out of Stanford, uh, the senior uh, basketball player, uh, you know, 754 yards receiving. That's good for 30th in the in uh, FBS right now, but 11 receiving touchdowns. And here's the thing, you know, nobody is going to stop him in the red zone when he's able to post you up. He basically posts you up just like a power forward, uh, down low, going to box you out and then go attack the football in the air. It's just like going after a rebound. Box out and then you know make contact with your man and then explode out and, and go after the football, and he exactly does that. Um, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, um, you know, he, he's somebody who can separate a little bit down the football field. That's one of the things that, you know, when we get into the pre-draft process, Nikhil Harry, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, a lot of these bigger receivers, you know, that's, you know, they're – can they separate? Um, what do they look like from a route running perspective? Can they sink their hips? Can they, you know, get it, uh, be sudden in and out of their breaks? I think JGR Sega Whiteside is a lot more sudden than people give him credit for. Lil Jordan Humphrey. 
know, if you didn't get a chance to watch the West Virginia game, little Jordan Humphrey was a beast. He was all over the field, uh, making plays. Uh, anytime Sam Ellinger um, needed to make a play and was looking for a receiver, it was going to be little Jordan Humphrey. You know, I thought he ran an excellent route on one of his touchdowns, ran a slant, and then uh, ultimately a go. You know, um, ultimately ran up the seam, and uh, they got the ball to him for the for the touchdown. Um, but one of the things that I will say is is the catch radius, just a tremendous catch radius. You know, put the ball up in the air, um, makes those cont- contested catches, 50-50 balls, um, intelligent receiver. Um, you know, target up the seam, sits down in the zone, uh, makes a play on the football as well. Uh, can stretch defenses a little bit. Uh, the body control had a catch, um, you know, towards the front pylon, elevated, high points the football, attacks the ball in the air, um, able to get back around, and ultimately was out at the one yard line. Um, but little Jordan Humphrey, definitely a guy to watch. Um, up to 788 receiving yards on the um, on the year, um, really a lot of fun to watch. You know, and what's what's crazy about all of these receivers? They're all bigger guys. They're all big receivers. Uh, you know, little Jordan Humphrey, he too, six four, two hundred twenty five pounds. Um, all these guys. That's one of the things about this this draft class. If you're looking for um, for that big physical receiver, this might be the draft for you. Um, Anthony Johnson, I just mentioned him. Um, he's been uh, hampered by that hamstring injury, but after the performance against Miami of Ohio. Um, I think he's shown that he's back. He's finally back and, and finally healthy. He's one of my favorite players to watch um, when he is healthy because of the fact that he can be a playmaker. 6'2", 210 pounds, um, over 1,300 yards receiving a season ago, um, 14 touchdowns. He's already at uh, 699 yards and, and nine touchdowns uh, through just eight games there for Buffalo. And in a couple of those contests, you know, he really wasn't much of a factor because he was having to deal with that hamstring injury. Um, but now that he's he's back to full strength, he and, uh, and um, Tyree Jackson are going to have a field day against uh, MAC opponents. So really watch out. The fact that Buffalo is 8-1 and one and Anthony Johnson has been struggling with that hamstring injury, um, that's pretty scary uh, to really think you know where, where Buffalo is right now. Um, Let's see, who else can we talk about here at the receiver position? Because, like I said, there's so many of these guys that are out there. You know, Dylan Mitchell is a guy who's showing that he can be an explosive receiver, um, you know, and he's the favorite target of, of Justin Herbert there for, for Oregon. Um, he has a chance to come out. Um, I hope he, he stays and comes back for one more season just because of all the, um, you know, the, the loaded talent here. Um, 833 yards receiving, six touchdowns on the year. Um, I'll give you a, a couple of names for, for sleepers to watch out for. Um, you know, Zach Pascal was a great um, addition there for the Colts um, out of Old Min- or I'm sorry, Old Dominion. Uh, but Jonathan Duhart, you know, 6'3", 210 pounds, a bigger receiver, um, 847 yards receiving um, with 58 receptions, seven touchdowns in nine games thus far. Um, a bigger receiver, a guy who goes up and attacks the football in the air. Excellent body control. He's somebody that I think is an NFL player. Um, you know, not many people are going to get to watch him. Old uh, Old Dominion really struggling this season. Only a couple of wins on the year, and uh, they're not going to be playing in a bowl game. But he's somebody that um, 
you want to try to be able to to get to see uh, as is Preston Williams, uh, Colorado State, you know, the, the Tennessee transfer, um, big physical, um, a nightmare to bring down after the catch, a guy who can attack the football in the air. Um, he's at 951 yards receiving eight touchdowns. Um, but I think just that physicality with which he plays um, is, is something that's really a lot of fun to watch. Andy Isabella, you know, if you're looking for a guy who can be that possession receiver, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of teams are looking for, who's going to be that slot guy? Who's going to be that, that go-to reliable target? Well, for UMass, it's Andy Isabella. I talked about him my very first podcast of the season, you know, guys to watch out for. And here's Andy Isabella, 303 yards in the win against Liberty. Um, you know, 77 receptions, over 1,394 yards, 11 touchdowns so far on the year. Um, you know, Isabella isn't going to wow you with speed, but he's sudden. He's sudden in and out of his breaks. He knows how to get open. He's a guy who's going to be playing on Sundays and, uh, you know, a guy who probably won't get drafted very high. You know, he probably won't be drafted until at least the fifth, fifth, sixth round. Um, if he gets drafted at all, he might be a priority free agent. But mark my words, Andy Isabella will be playing on Sundays and uh, he'll be a guy who I think will be, end up becoming a favorite target for whoever uh, his quarterback is at the next level. Um, so the, the receiver position really, like I said, a lot of fun, a lot of fun, uh, going through, taking a look at a lot of these, these different receivers. Hey, how about, uh, uh, Jalen Hurd, you know, there's a story, you know, six, four, 215, I'm sorry, 225 pounds. I think now, um, there for, for Baylor, um, you know, over 756 yards receiving, a guy who can get get vertical. He's starting, still learning the nuances of the receiver position, but definitely a guy who knows how to make plays with the ball in his hands. Um, a guy who you know very quick in and out of his breaks, and um, you know, very sudden. You know, and you see some of that 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 running back mentality um, with him. And uh, he's somebody that is a guy that you're gonna have to keep an eye on. I think he'll probably end up being a day three um, day three guy, probably. You know, anywhere between the fourth and sixth rounds, but a guy who I think will end up making an NFL roster because of his versatility. And we talked a lot about, you know, at Texas, um, you know, little Jordan Humphrey, but Colin Johnson is another guy, you know, the son of Johnny Johnson, the former NFL um, NFLer, but, you know, he's 6'2", 200, or I'm sorry, 6'6", and 220 pounds, the junior, um, a bigger receiver, another guy who attacks the ball in the air, um, you know, a, a guy who has excellent body control and, uh, you know, able to get over the top of the cornerback. You know, that's one of the things that you really look for, um, you know, attacks the ball with his hands. And, uh, you know, if you're attacking the football, getting up there, making plays on the, on, on the ball, um, you know, that's what you want to see out of, out of your receivers. And, uh, so those are some of those, some of the receivers to really keep an eye on right now. And I didn't even mention, David Sills. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the West Virginia receiver, 6'4", 210 pounds. Uh, not the fastest guy, but surprisingly sudden in and out of his breaks. You know, he's somebody who knows how to get open. Um, excellent hands, huge catch radius, uh, intelligent receiver, and uh, knows how to find his way to the end zone. Here's the issue that I have with David Sills. Um, something's going on th- this season with with some some drops some really questionable um you know lapses in concentration dropping a lot of easy passes 
balls hit him in the hands and and he's dropping dropping those balls um you know when he should be should be hauling them in so that's really you know a, a big question mark i think that's when it, that's going to hurt david sills and some of these other receivers might end up moving up the boards on him um but uh a, a guy who is is very smart um, you know, he's, he's an intelligent receiver, somebody who I think, um, could be another Cooper, t- uh, Cooper cup type of guy. Um, you know, uh, someone who is just so smart, knows how to get open, you know, Cooper cup, look, you know, he, you knew that he was going to be special when you watched him at the senior bowl, you watched him at, uh, at the combine you know, at the senior bowl. Nobody could cover, cover this guy. You know, it didn't matter who it was lining up against him. He knew how to get off the line. He knew, uh, how to get himself open, and uh, you know those. You know, if you can be sudden, you don't necessarily have to be the the fastest guy in the world. If you're going to be sudden off of the off the line, you can end up uh, having a pretty good career in the NFL. Um, so David Sills, still someone to watch. I watch him in that game against Texas when they went for two. You know, Will Greer ultimately scoring on that uh, on that zone read, able to bounce it out to the outside. But uh, you know, the play before. When uh, Tom Herman, you know, calls timeout, David Sills runs runs a slant. Obviously, the slant was against uh, a freshman um, Cook, um, Anthony Cook, the the freshman there, uh, the corner. Uh, David Sills wasn't able to, um, you know, didn't line up against Chris Boyd. Went up against Cook, was able to easily get the release uh, to the inside, catch the slant. Um, you knew that that was going to happen. He's a red zone nightmare when it comes to that. Um, very next play, Chris Boyd is against him. What does he do? He runs a fade, which ultimately opens up the field for uh, Will Greer to end up scoring. Um, but uh, I think David Sills will have a home um, at the next level. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. You know, to see just how reliable those hands are going to be. And kind of a forgotten man is is Debo Samuel. Now, here's a guy who I think will end up being a slot receiver at the next level. Um, he's someone from a production standpoint, you haven't really heard a whole lot about Debo Samuel, um, you know, had a great start to the season, um, last year, but I think since that, that knee injury, you know, he's really struggled to, to put on, um, you know, to really show that he's back. And I think that's going to be a, a concern is, if is he is he truly back? Is there something that's going on with him? Is he as explosive as uh, as everyone is hoping him to be? That those are going to be some of the legitimate questions. He's going to have to prove that throughout the pre-draft process and especially at the combine uh, with that forty time. Is he you know does he have that suddenness? Is he going to be able to to get off the line quickly? That's something that uh, you know as a slot receiver, he's going to have to prove that. So the receiver position. Look, we've, we've spent some time talking about, you know, what, 12, 13, 14 receivers, all guys that have the potential to be, um, well, most of the guys are going to end up being uh, day two picks, um, you know, and there's some guys that are sprinkled in there that are, are day three picks, gave you a couple of sleepers there in Duhart and uh, Andy Isabella. Uh, another X factor is going to be Emmanuel Hall, you know, what he does the rest of the season with Drew Lockett quarterback. Now that he's getting healthy, 6'1", 196 pounds out of Missouri, uh, more of a vertical threat on the outside, not really a guy who's going to be all that physical. Um, you know, can get jammed to the line of scrimmage, but look, you know, when you allow him to get a, a free release up the sideline, he's going to stretch defenses. Um, that vertical threat, teams are always looking for that guy. 
know, when you put the ball around him, he tracks the ball very well. Excellent body control can adjust to the football in the air. Um, you know, he just needs to stay healthy this year, um, you know, throughout the rest of the season. If he can do that, then I think Emmanuel Hall will establish himself as a, as a fourth round pick when it's all said and done. I think he's going to end up being a better pro prospect than uh, Jamon Moore, who ended up, I believe, a fifth round pick of uh, the Green Bay Packers. Um, you know, I think Emmanuel Hall, probably about fourth round. That makes the most sense for me. So let's take a look. You know, obviously, uh, we've got week 11 and, uh, you know, creeping into, into the month of November and what does November bring us? Um, I'll actually be out at Bedlam tomorrow. OU taking on Oklahoma State in Norman. Um, I'll, I'll be be there at uh, Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial, uh, watching Kyler Murray and company taking on uh, Justice Hill and uh, and the Pokes. Uh, so that'll be an interesting contest. Um, you know, it's always interesting when you get uh, you know rivals, interstate rivals, to uh, compete against each other. You almost have to throw the records out the window, but I expect the the Sooners to win that one. Let's see, uh, West Virginia taking on TCU. TCU really struggling. They lost to to Kansas. You know, struggling at the quarterback position. Uh, West Virginia with with Will Greer. You know, like I said, Will, uh, you know, West Virginia goes as Will Greer, Will Greer goes. Um, so I would expect uh, West Virginia to come out on top. Um, Ohio State taking on Michigan State. Michigan State, one of those sneaky teams. You know, they're six and six and three. Uh, you know, they're playing Rocky Lombardi. And, uh, you know, I think they have a chance against Ohio State with that defense and really being more one-dimensional, not really able to get the the ground game going. Um, You know, if they don't get that ground game going, if if Joe Bocci, uh, Kenny Willekes, and and Raekwon Williams get get things going, then, uh, you know, I think it'll be a long day for Dwayne Haskins and and the Spartans would have a chance. Um, You know, speaking of Michigan State, I named off Willekes and Bocci and Williams um, I don't anticipate any of, any of them coming out for the draft. Maybe Raquan Williams, but with the depth of that defensive tackle position in this year's draft, I think it would behoove him to come back for his senior season. And uh, if that's the case, you know that's a trio of guys that the Big Ten are really going to have to watch out for uh, as we get into next season's draft. Um, UCF, um, you know, Navy's only two; they're two and seven on the year. They're struggling, but. Uh, you know, having to play against that that offense uh, always going to be a cause for concern. And uh, Mackenzie Milton, though, uh, I think uh, they'll have that offense firing on all cylinders. Let's see, Florida, number fifteenth ranked Gators. You know, after going down to defeat against Missouri, they'll go up against uh, South Carolina in the swamp. You know, see what Jake Bentley can do against Jakai Polite and uh, and the Florida Gators there. Um, Penn State and Wisconsin. What's happened to Wisconsin? Unable to run the football. Um, Alex Hornibrook has been out. Um, you know, concussion protocol. You know, Penn State. You know, Trace McSorley slowed with that knee injury. Um, they just got throttled by Michigan. You know, forty-two to seven. They'll get the Badgers at home. I anticipate Penn State to win this game. Um, you know, twentieth-ranked Nittany Lions. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens in that one. As we get through here, let's see what we have. We're getting into some of the afternoon games. Uh, Texas A&M and Ole Miss. 
uh, Kellen Mon and company taking on Jordan Ta'amu and uh, A.J. Brown. Look, and when we talk about running backs in this running back class, um, I talked about running backs previously, you know, that uh, in previous podcasts and the fact that the running back class is not all that strong. Um, I still believe, you know, David Montgomery sitting there at the top. Um, I got to move Damian Harris. The more that I watch him, the more I like. Maybe have to move him up to number two. You've got Benny Snell there as well. Um, you know, Bryce Love, if he can stay healthy, that's a big question mark. Uh, Daryl Henderson out of Memphis, the nation's leading rusher, um, just a big you know ball of uh, you know of, uh, of of muscle. Um, you know, has the speed to go the distance to as, as well. Justin uh, Justice Hill. You know, look, I don't know what Oklahoma State is doing. You know, they're they're sharing the belt, you know, the ball quite a bit with with Juba Hubbard, but you see a difference when Justice Hill has the football. You know, that just being dynamic as a um, as, as a back, and he just hasn't been utilized the way that you'd like to see. So, you know, when you talk about Montgomery, Snell, Harris, um, you know, some guys that aren't necessarily home run hitters, um, but guys who can definitely wear down defenses and they get better as the game goes on. Um, you know, Bryce Love, Henderson, um, Justice Hill, guys that can make plays out in space. Um, Travion Williams out of Texas A&M, 5'9", uh, you know, 200 pounds. He's only a junior, but a guy who can do a little bit of everything. He can run between the tackles, excellent lateral cuts, you know, the vision to see the cutback lanes, um, has the speed out on the perimeter and a shifty in the open field to make you miss. And he has excellent hands in the receiving game. That's where the game is going at the next level. I wouldn't be surprised if Travion Williams ends up coming out. And if he, you know, if he does, and really when I'm looking at my running back uh, rankings, um, I got to put Travion Williams in my top five. You know, he's really a lot of fun to watch. Every time I watch him, he produces. Um, so getting to watch him against Ole Miss, um, you know, that defense for Ole Miss really struggling against SEC competition. They're one in four in SEC play. Um, Travion Williams, though, um, 166 carries for 931 yards, 10 touchdowns. Like I said, also a factor in the passing game. I pick, uh, you know, Texas A&M to win that one going away. As we scroll through uh, Duke, North Carolina, you know, we, we talk about that more as a, as a basketball matchup. Um, but uh, here's the deal with North Carolina. Nathan Elliott, you know, throwing the football pretty well. Um, you know, I don't anticipate, you know, Duke to have too much of, a, of an issue. But, uh, you know, Nathan Elliott, at least throwing the football, he'll, he'll challenge uh, Daniel Jones for the, the top quarterback in the, uh, at least stat-wise in that game. So it'll be, be an interesting contest to watch. Mississippi State, 16th-ranked Bulldogs going into Tuscaloosa, Bryant-Denny Stadium to take on Alabama, Tua Tungo-Vailoa and company. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Alabama does with the running quarterback like Nick Fitzgerald. Not much of a threat as a passer, and I think that's really what's going to hurt them because if Alabama can make you one-dimensional, then you know it, the, the contest, there's not going to be much of one. Um, but you know, what's really going to be interesting is watching Montez sweat. Um, you know, how often is he going to line up against Jonah Williams? I think, you know, when Jonah Williams, some of his sets, um, you know, if he, especially, you know, against some of those quicker, um, quicker ends, you know, a lot of times he will try to, uh, overset and is susceptible to some of those inside moves. Montez sweat. Very savvy guy, 6'6", 245 pounds, long arms. I think he's going to give Jonah Williams some problems. And then on the interior, Jeffrey Simmons, you know, the, the, the explosiveness, the violent hands that he, that he plays with, um, you know, 
you're you're going to see some some issues there. Um, you know, Ross Pierschbacher um, at, at center is going to see a lot of of that nose guard, and uh, you know, in the secondary, you'll see Jonathan Abrams flying around, coming up um, in run support and uh, playing over the top against uh, you know against Tua. And uh, Jamal Peters, you know, if he stays, you know, if he can stay healthy there um, at one of the quarterback positions, um, you know, I think he's going to be be able to play out there on the perimeter against Jerry Judy, force Tua Tagovailoa to make some perfect throws. Really want to see Tua, uh, what Tua can do under duress. You know, can Montez, what can Jeffrey Simmons get to him on a regular basis? Can they really start, you know, putting some pressure on him and see how he reacts? That's what I want to see. Uh, Gardner Minshew uh, and Wazoo uh, taking on Colorado there in Folsom Field. I don't anticipate there being an issue with with Washington State in this one, um, but you know you get a chance to see uh, Gardner Minshew taking on uh, a pretty pretty solid Colorado defense overall. I think you know, Colorado offensively is where things are struggling, uh, but Nate Landman, um, you know, an interior, I'm sorry, an inside linebacker, uh, sophomore, number fifty three. As as you know, if you get a chance to tune into that game, um, he's a guy who's making plays all over the football field. We'll be talking about him next year as a potential uh, draft eligible candidate. Um, you know, as is uh, as will uh, Mustafa Johnson, the defensive end there for Colorado. Um, you know, essentially Colorado, their offense they go as as Lavisca Chenault goes, and uh, you know Lavisca Chenault, if he's out, he's injured, then uh, you know Colorado really doesn't have a chance. Iowa State, the Cyclones. You know, I, I talked about them being the best uh, one and three team. Well, they're now five and three, four and two in, in Big Twelve play. And uh, you know, if they win out, you know, they have a good chance at uh, being a um, one of the representatives in the Big Twelve title game. They've already beaten West Virginia, so if West Virginia loses to OU, then Iowa State has a chance to make themselves known as. Uh, as one of the representatives in that game. So, um, you know, they take on Baylor at home. They're in Ames, you know, with, with Brock Purdy throwing the football, David Montgomery between the tackles. I don't anticipate there being an issue for Iowa State in that one. Let's see. Getting through the last of these games. I'm scrolling through. We start getting into the evening. Um, Utah without Zach Moss. You know, Zach Moss going down to a knee injury devastating for for him you know there was the potential that maybe he'd be a factor coming out into this draft um and he still might you know even with the knee injury we're seeing a trend with some of the guys that get injured end up coming into the draft i think it would behoove him to come back to utah um for his senior season but uh six and three utes um you know right now four and three in pac 12 play they're looking to go to the you know the Pac-12 championship for the first time ever, um, but they got to get through Oregon. You know they're playing at home, Rice Eccles Stadium, not an easy place to play. Um, you know it'll be interesting to see what Justin Herbert can do against uh, you know Utah there in that hostile environment. Georgia, ranked number five. You know in uh, you know, between the hedges, taking on number 24 Auburn. That defense really firing on all cylinders. Derek Brown. Um, you know, a top 15 player, a guy who, you know, the bull rush, you'll see him very physical, very powerful with his hands. I think he's another guy, violent hands, you know, the power, his ability to bench press his man, get off the, off the block and, uh, get to the quarterback and get to the ball carrier. 
Um, but he's not the only guy on that defense. Deshaun Davis, the middle linebacker, flies around to the football. He'll be playing on Sundays as well. And then Jarrett Stidham. Look, you know, Jarrett Stidham's a guy for me. Um, holds on to the football way too long in the pocket. Looks a little bit too robotic. Um, you know, stares down his receivers at times, but he's also shown that he can make plays, especially when you saw, you know, the game against Texas A&M, ultimately able to lead them back to victory. Um, this isn't going to be a gimme for Georgia. You know, Georgia loves to run the football. They love to pound the rock with uh, Elijah Holyfield and uh, DeAndre Swift, their version of Thunder and Lightning. DeAndre Swift, that stiff arm, that patented stiff arm out on out on the perimeter. Um but uh, if they can shut down the run and force them to pass, force them to throw the football, especially with some of those pass rushers, Nick Coe and company, um, it might be a long day for Jake Fromm. Um, I still like the Bulldogs to win this one, but you know, again, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Auburn gives them a game and uh, even comes up with a victory. Interesting game in the American uh, Temple. You know they're they're sitting there at uh, at five and four on the year, but uh, a team that's still um, you know, just a hard nosed team, a, a difficult out there in the American Conference, taking on Houston uh, seven and two, four and one in American play. Um, you know they have De'Ara King throwing the football, thirty touchdown passes on the year. Obviously, there's Ed Oliver playing there for Houston as well. Um, that'll be a fun game to watch, as will South Florida against Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati 8-1. and one. If you get a chance to tune into that game, uh, Cincinnati's got a pair of defensive tackles I've talked about before, Cortez Broughton and uh, Marquise Copeland. Uh, definitely some playmakers on the interior there. Um, it'll give uh, USF some problems. I anticipate the Bearcats to get the win in that one. Notre Dame, number three ranked Irish at home against Florida State. Florida State really struggling mightily. They're 4-5 and five on the year. Um, you know, is Deontay Francois, is it going to be James Blackman at quarterback? What we do know is Notre Dame will be without the services of Ian Book. Um, so Brandon Wimbush will be the quarterback. Um, they may rely a little bit more on Dexter Williams, but look, you know, Miles Boykin, I was talking about all those receivers and left him out. 6'4", 228 pounds, a big receiver on the outside, uh, 624 yards receiving on 40 receptions with seven touchdowns on the year. Um, you know, a guy who could end up probably... You know, sliding in as a tight end just because of his size, but another guy who can go up, you know, win those 50-50 balls, um, very physical after the catch, a guy who's able to create separation late. You know, not every receiver has that um, that feel, and he does have a knack for being able to do that. Um, not yet another receiver who I think can be playing on Sundays, probably end up being a fourth-round pick, uh, depending on what he runs in the 40, but uh, another guy who's just he's fun to watch. Uh, Texas Longhorns, uh, 19th ranked. Uh, Texas Longhorns going into Lubbock, taking on Texas Tech. Um, you know who's going to be playing quarterback there? Alan Bowman. You know uh, had the the issue with the lung against uh, Oklahoma. Jet Duffy kind of changes things a little bit there for for Texas Tech. If Alan Bowman's the quarterback, then I think Texas Tech. Um, it was in for, you know they they. Um, in for a wild game there against Texas. I think if, if Jet Duffy's the quarterback, and, and no offense to him, but I, I just don't think that he matches up as well um, against Texas, who's going to be a little salty after the, the loss and the closing moments there against West Virginia. Um, Antoine Wesley, if you haven't gotten to see him play yet for Texas Tech, 6'5", 200 pounds, very lanky junior receiver, 
um, over 1,100 yards receiving and, uh, and seven touchdowns on the year. Um, a guy who, you know, plays bigger um, than his um, than his size would indicate. You know, I said he's 6'5", but he is only 200 pounds, but he plays a lot bigger than that. Very, you know, a lot more physical, loves a stiff arm there on the outside. Um, so that'll be an interesting game to watch. Obviously, on the other side, you'll have, uh, you know, Lil Jordan Humphrey and, uh, you know, Colin Johnson. Clemson. The number two ranked Tigers uh, taking on Boston College there, Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. Alumni Stadium is going to be rocking. Um, what's going to be interesting in this matchup, you know, will will the 17th ranked Eagles um, be able to get anything going on the ground? Obviously, Clemson with that vaunted defense. You've got Dexter uh, Lawrence there in the middle along with uh, Christian Wilkins. They're going to be the tone setters uh, against the run. You know, Chris Lindstrom, you know, here's here's a chance for him to really separate himself as the top guard in this year's draft. Uh, Michael Dieter, ben, uh, Bo Benshaw, two guards that I've put up uh, at the top of my draft class. And, and Chris uh, Lindstrom is kind of sitting in between the two of them. He was a tackle for a time there at Boston College, now playing guard exclusively. And, uh, you know, you've, when you're blocking for a guy like A.J. Dillon, uh, all he needs is a... Uh, you know, is a little bit of a crease, and he's going to either run you over or run by you. Um, but you know, can he help create some things there on on the interior? Uh, the left tackle, Aaron Montero, is another guy who has the potential to be um, a pro player. Um, I think he'll probably end up being a, a right tackle, possibly even kick into guard. He's six seven, has really good length, um, but he struggles a lot of times with uh, with speed rushers. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do. Um, with Cleveland Farrell and uh, Austin Bryant, I think the thing with Clemson is they just they run so many guys at you. They're so deep. Um, you know, will Anthony Brown and company there throwing the football for for BC um, be able to deal with that secondary? They've got Tray, uh, Trayvon Mullen. They've got AJ Terrell. Um, Trayvon Mullen can end up being a first rounder. Um, you know, a lot of passes thrown in front of him. Um, but does a really good job breaking on the football, wrapping up, no yak. And I think that's probably the, the most important thing there. And I mentioned AJ Dillon, you know, he's six foot, 245 pounds, 250 pounds, runs a four, five, 40, um, incredibly strong, huge legs, uh, can run through contact, but he also has a speed to take it the distance and run by you. Um, you know, and obviously Clemson has Travis Etienne, um, nearly, uh, at the thousand yard mark. Um, 15 touchdowns. You'll have uh, you know Trevor Lawrence um, throwing the football, but uh, BC Zach Allen really fun to watch. Six five, 285 pound defensive end, 100 tackles a season ago at the defensive end position. Very productive again this year. You know what what BC has though is they've got the emergence of Wyatt Ray on the opposite end. He's another guy who I think will be playing at the next level because he knows how to get after the quarterback. Uses his hands very well. Uh, able to dip his shoulder and uh, has some decent hips overall. A little bit of stiffness, um, but I think overall does a pretty good job getting to the quarterback. Um, you know, linebacker play. You know, uh, Colin Strahan there in in the middle. Hamp Cheevers, I think, is a guy who can end up being a pro prospect um, at the cornerback position. Will Harris will be playing at the next level. Uh, the senior safety is kind of a leader on the back end of that defense. Um, you know, I, I think Clemson has too much depth, too many horses there. But uh, BC, I think this will probably be a, a team that 
We'll keep it a lot closer than I think everyone would be anticipating. Late game, USC, my Trojans taking on Cal. Look, USC, now that Clay Hilton's calling the plays, you know, they're up to, to five and four on the year. And, you know, Josh Wilcox, you know, Cal was able to knock off Washington. Um, you know, so that'll be an interesting game. It's played at the Coliseum. I think USC has a great chance to win this one. Um, if they win, they're bowl eligible. Um, and they'll be going up against uh, UCLA and, and Notre Dame to finish out their, their season. Um, a tumultuous season, uh, to say the least, especially for, for Trojan fans. Um, so a, a game against Cal, um, you know, that's, that's one that, uh, you know, I know their uh, Trojan fans aren't going to want to see uh, them lose. Um, and then it looks like the nightcap game, Nevada at home, the Wolfpack there in Reno, uh, taking on Colorado state. Um, you know, Nevada a chance to become bowl eligible, Colorado state, you know, again, you'll get a chance to watch Preston Williams. Um, you know, a guy who I think is a, an NFL receiver. Um, you know, they also have Josh Watson, a guy who, you know, could follow in the footsteps of guys like uh, Shaquille Barrett, um, potentially earning a spot on an NFL roster. Um, Josh Watson, definitely the guy that kind of uh, is the leader there for for Colorado State. Nevada has Malik Reed, the pass rusher uh, extraordinaire. I think he has eight sacks, if I'm not mistaken, just off the top of my head. Um, 6'1", 250 pounds, a guy who's going to end up being an outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme at the next level. Um, but a guy who just has a motor that never quits. A lot of fun to watch. Uh, and I do hope that Nevada does end up becoming bowl eligible because then that would allow um, more people to watch Malik Reed play. I think he needs some of that exposure, a guy that people aren't really talking about. Um, but a guy who I think could be a, a steal at some point on day three. So that's what uh, you can really expect out of week 11. I think week 11, it's really going to be interesting to see what uh, what's going to take place. Uh, obviously, the college football playoff is going to be shaken. Um, we'll be shaping, shaping up that much more. Um, I don't really anticipate... Uh, the, the top four to change, Bama taking on Mississippi State, Clemson, BC, um, so ranked opponents for both, um, but I don't anticipate either team um, really tripping things up. If there is going to be one between those two, Clemson taking on BC, that's not a gimme, uh, Notre Dame taking on Florida State, the only thing that concerns me there for the Irish is the fact that Ian Book is going to be out, uh, and then Michigan's taking on Rutgers, uh, Rutgers, you know, the, that program under Chris Ash, um, you know, a down year. Um, so I don't anticipate the top four to change Oklahoma state, uh, Oklahoma taking on Oklahoma state. That's going to be an interesting one. Um, you know, Bedlam, you know, you throw out the records, but I do anticipate OU coming out on top in that one. And then finally, um, at number five, Georgia Bulldogs. Um, if there's anyone in the top six, that uh, we could potentially see uh, get upset. You know, it might be between the hedges. Um, you know, Georgia. Uh, you know, with that that duo there at uh, at running back with Elijah Elijah Holyfield and DeAndre Swift taking on Auburn. Um, if Dontavious Russell, you know, is taking on multiple blockers and. Derek Brown is able to get quick early penetration into the backfield. You've got Nick Coe coming off the edge. 
um, Marlon Davidson making some plays and, uh, you know, ultimately that defensive line allowing uh, Deshaun Davis to do what he does, which is fly around to the football, then, uh, you know, Jake Fromm's going to have to step up and, uh, you know, be the guy, um, you know, for, for Georgia. And, uh, you know, Auburn has the ability to, I think if there's any team out there, I think Auburn has a good chance to make them one-dimensional. And if that's the case, then... I think Auburn has a good chance against Georgia. So if there is going to be any changes there at the top, it might be Georgia falling to um, Auburn. I don't think it's going to happen. But like I said, of these of these four, I think Georgia and, and Clemson are the two that might be on upset alert. Um, But at the same time, I could I could look at this and say that all six of those teams are going to end up winning those games. That's probably what's going to end up happening. But uh, you know, my time is up here on Ready for the Draft podcast. Um, hope you've enjoyed tuning in, whether it's I, uh, Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, um, or any of the other platforms. I do appreciate you ch- coming in, checking things out. Um, like I said, this is my passion. This is what I love to do: player, uh, you know, analysis. Uh, the draft prospects, mock drafts, um, everything. You know, I, I sit and I watch games. You know, I watch games every single week. Um, you know, 15, 16 plus games um, from beginning to end. You know, I don't get a lot of sleep during the college football season. You know, there's a reason for it, and it's because I want to get through as many games as possible so that I can speak intelligently um, about each and every one of the draft prospects. You give me a, a prospect, I've probably watched at least one of their games. Um, you know, I, 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 I love my wife. Um, you know, she allows me to, uh, um, to watch all of these games and, and really set aside a lot of that time. So, uh, you know, thank you to her. And obviously also thank you to my, my, uh, my DVR. It hasn't blown up yet. Um, uh, with all the, all the games that I've recorded, like I said, I'm up to 145 games. Um, I think when it's all said and done, I'll probably be at over 250 games, and uh, I will have 130 FBS programs. I've watched at least one of their games. Um, and then we'll sprinkle in some of the FCS programs as well. I need to make sure that I uh, get to watch a few of those because there are some draft prospects out there at the FCS level that I'm going to have to make sure I keep an eye on. So hope everyone enjoys their weekend ahead of them. Obviously, we're looking at uh, November 10th. I mean, it's amazing. You know, we just have a month and a half a uh, little over a month and a half left to 2018. Um, hard to believe, you know, right around the corner will be, um, you know, the conference championships and then bowl season. Um, just really unbelievable. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll be tuning in next week. We'll have another uh, edition of Ready for the Draft podcast. Uh, it'll be episode 13. It's it's kind of hard to believe that it, uh, you know, I've already put together that many podcasts on the year, but uh, I've enjoyed um, breaking things down and bringing this to you every, each and every week. Um, hope everyone enjoys their weekend of college football. Until next week, I am out of here. Take care, everyone. <laughs>